Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do terrific work, and you can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including uh, guest Mark Schulman. He's the publisher and founder of uh, HistoryCentral.com. Also, Larry Reed, he is professor, I should say, uh, president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. And Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau chief and author of several novels since he retired, his latest, No Problem. By the way, so great to be back on the air. We're live this morning, and we'll, of course, we'll be posting our podcast uh, on a number of sites, but irrespective, uh, that was quite a storm, and it's nice to be in the recovery stage now from uh, Hurricane Ian. It is October the 10th, and on this day in 1944, 800 Romani children, including more than 100 boys between 9 and 14 years of age, were systematically murdered. Auschwitz was really a group of camps, designated 1, 2, and 3. There were also 40 smaller satellite camps in which Auschwitz II at Birkenau, established in October 1941, that the SS created a complex monstrosity orchestrated killing, or killing ground, 300 prison barracks, four bathhouses in which prisoners were gassed, uh, corpse cellars, and uh, cremating ovens. Thousands of prisoners were also used as fodder for medical experiments overseen and performed by the camp doctor Joseph Mengele, the angel of death. A mini-revolt took place on October the 7th, 1944, as several hundred Jewish prisoners were being forced to carry corpses from the gas chambers to the furnace to dispose of the bodies, then blew up one of the gas chambers and set fire to another, using explosives smuggled into them from Jewish women who worked in a nearby armament factory. Of the roughly 450 prisoners involved in the sabotage, about 250 managed to escape the camp during the ensuing chaos. They were all found and shot. Those co-conspirators who had never made it out of the camp were also executed, as were five women from the armaments factory, but not before being tortured for detailed information on the smuggling operation. Uh, none, of them, uh, none of the women talked. Romani uh, people, too, had been singled out for the brutal treatment by Hitler's regime early on, Deemed carriers of disease and unreliable elements who cannot be put to useful work, they were marked for extermination along with the Jews of Europe from the earliest years of the war. Approximately 1.5 million Romani children and people were murdered by the Nazis. In 1950, all Romani people attempted to gain compensation for their suffering, as were other victims of the Holocaust. The German government denied them anything, saying they had been persecuted under the Nazis, not at for any racial reason, but because of a social and criminal record, they were stigmatized even in uh, uh, light of the atrocities committed against them. It just popped in my mind. I read a story of the uh, Romani people, gypsies, uh, bury me standing, a terrific read to understand what happened to uh, these people who were persecuted. They certainly have a different way of life, but my goodness, just horrible atrocities. Man's inhumanity to man. 
Well, Columbus Day is a day of as uh, a U.S. holiday that commemorates the landing of Christopher Columbus in Americas in 1492. <laughs> and Columbus Day, of course, has today, Monday, October the 10th, it was unofficially celebrated in a number of cities and states as early as the 18th century, but did not become a federal holiday until 1937. For many, the holiday is a way of both honoring Columbus' achievements and celebrating Italian-American heritage. But throughout its history, Columbus Day and the man who inspired it in general controversy, uh, and many have alternatives to the holiday, have proposed since 1970, including Indigenous Peoples Day, now celebrated in many cities and states. I like Columbus Day. Uh, You know, again, this uh, woke culture, it's just uh, amazing. Christopher Columbus, again, he (laughs) discovered the United States or discovered uh, America and uh, certainly should be recognized for that. Uh, It is uh, also, uh, it is a day that, uh, well, it's it's not a federal holiday, actually, uh, Columbus Day. Uh, The markets are open. I think the federal government is open as well. Markets, of course, got creamed on Friday. Uh, The financial markets, uh, what, the Dow Jones down about 630. And uh, right now, as we're starting the show, uh, the futures are down a little bit, too, and kind of declining. So we'll see how this day uh, turns out. Big week uh, for financial markets with a lot of news coming out. Well, the Collier County Sheriff's Office is asking for witnesses of a fatal shooting outside of Cavo Lounge in uh, Mercado in North Naples. The shooting occurred just after 10.30 p.m. on Saturday at, at the Mercado. The suspect and victim were in a physical altercation inside Cavill Lounge, Lounge and uh, prior to the shooting, according to the sheriff's office, the suspect fled the scene on foot. The victim was transported to the hospital where he died. Anyone with any information, of course, should get in touch with the police. Uh, there's a Crime Stoppers uh, number 800 780 8477. I mentioned this story. There are murders on occasion in Collier County, but this is uh, in North Naples. Just makes it makes no sense whatsoever. So, hopefully, uh, will they'll find the guy and uh, and prosecute him for his for the murder. Collier County's hurricane debris removal effort is underway. Of course, we've seen it and uh, doing a spectacular job. Seven days after uh, removal started, the county's contractors have removed over 100,000 cubic yards of hurricane debris. The removal efforts are taking place countywide, and there's a large focus on areas greatly impacted by the storm. Of course, that would be closer to uh, the west side of the, uh, the county. More than 800 hauling units from uh, working from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., seven days a week, a collection of household garbage, recycling, and yard waste has resumed Resumed and curbside uh, bulk collection will resume on October the 17th, the uh, regular scheduled day of collection. While the Florida Disaster Fund is the state's Florida's official private fund established to assist Florida communities as they respond to and recover from times of emergency, in partnership with the public sector, private sector, and other non-governmental organizations, the Florida Disaster Fund supports response and recovery activities. Donations can be made uh, by to the foundation, a 501c3, so the donations are tax-deductible. Uh, and uh, usually there's a 3% fee for, uh, you know, the administration of all this, but they're waiving the fee during this disaster. So 
If you want more information, you can call or go to inf- or send an email to info at volunteerflorida.org or call 850-414-7400. Nice effort on the part of the of the uh, state of Florida. You know what? By the way, this uh, cleanup effort by on the part of the state, they're just doing a terrific job. Not only Cuyahoga County, but the state as well. Following Hurricane Ian, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers activated Operation Blue Roof to provide a temporary blue tarp-like covering to help reduce further damage to property. Uh, this is uh, services free to homeowners, so I want to just underscore this. If you have water coming into your home as a result of uh, Hurricane Ian, uh, you can, and that would be for five counties, Lee, Charlotte, Sarasota, Collier, and DeSoto, you can go call 888 888- Roof Blue, B-L-U, Roof Blue, uh, to find out how you can participate. Uh, Twitter blocked and then unblocked Florida Surgeon General Dr. Joseph Lapada's post regarding a study indicating that COVID-19 mRNA, the vaccine, has caused increased death among young people ages 18 to 39. This analysis found that there is a 84% increase in the relative incidence of cardiac-related death among males 18 to 39 within 28 days following the mRNA uh, vaccination, that according to uh, uh, Dr. Lopato, with a high level of uh, global immunity to COVID-19, Florida's Department of Health continued, the benefit of vaccination is likely outweighed by the abnormally high risk of cardiac-related death among men in the ages in this age group, non-mRNA vaccines were not found to have any these increased risks. So Lopato originally posted was on Friday, but Twitter responded swiftly, deleting it, taking it down. Our current misleading information policies covers synthetic and manipulated media, COVID-19, and civil integrity. If we determine a tweet contains misleading or disputed information per our policies, then could lead to harm. We may add a label to the content, provide context and additional information. So uh, Lopato, I'm so glad he's our surgeon general. He does a terrific job. And of course, he's right about the elevated problems with uh, heart disease and problems from people who get uh, vaccinated. And the risks do outweigh the benefits. So uh, anyhow, he says uh, we should use alternative treatments such as ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. He faced criticism during his confirmation process in the state Senate, and uh, Democrats at one point talked out during his testimony. He's a great surgeon general and a great doctor, and uh, nice to have a voice you can trust in uh, public health. While the White House is gearing up for a growing army of staff to fend off potential Republican-led probes on everything from Hunter Biden to the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, and taxpayers are footing this bill, Batting down the hatches should be the GOP regain should the GOP regain control of the House of Representatives in the midterm elections the White House is shelling out $265,000 a year in salary for staff whose primary portfolio will be to run uh, communications and defense for the administration from an approaching blizzard of subpoenas in May the White House approached poached Richard A Salber a top attorney for the Department of Veteran Affairs to serve as a deputy counsel to the president tasked with handling House oversight problems and probes. Ian Sams, a veteran of Vice President Harris's failed 2020 presidential campaign, was hired to run uh, official comms for the team. 
White House uh, records show that two men will take in 155,000 and 110,000 respectively. Americans deserve transparency from the presidential President Biden about his family's suspicious business dealings. But instead of providing transparency, the White House is hiring staff at the American taxpayer's expense to stonewall the congressional oversight and accountability. That, according to Representative James Comer from Kentucky, who is on track to chair the House Oversight Committee uh, next year. Let's be clear, no amount of Biden White House staff or stonewalling will stop Republicans' quest for transparency and accountability on behalf of the American people. Less than four weeks, well, about four weeks to the election, and uh, it's a big one. I hope everybody's planning on voting. I, we've got our votes all set. We're going to take them down to the supervisor of elections office and personally deliver them. Uh, looking forward to getting the results. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. 
And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can find out more by visiting the website and also get tickets, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming, I'm going to be visiting with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. He's the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. So uh, as we normally do, we talk about current global events, and let's start off with developments in Ukraine. Right. So we've had last-minute developments these last few hours where uh, Russia has unleashed a major missile strike on the centers of all the Ukrainian cities. Mm. And Putin proudly announced the fact that he had done so, claiming it's retaliation for the attack on the terrorist, like quotation mark, attack on, on the bridge connecting Crimea with, the, with Russia. Um, it's quite interesting how he can talk about a terrorist attack when you're blowing up a bridge um, and then unleash... 75 missiles at the center cities of, uh, of Ukraine. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it, once again, we're, we're at, the, we're at the, the clearest war since World War II between good and evil. Yeah. And there's only one side that's evil at this point, and it conti- continues. Um, you know, unfortunately for Putin, on the ground inside Ukraine, his forces are slowly but surely losing. Yeah. And he doesn't, you know, the, his attempt at, uh, he, well, he announced the mobilization of 300,000 uh, new troops. The drafting resulted so far in the exit of 800,000 men from, from Russia, which, A, it's very hard to get people into the army when you've, when half, most of them have run out of the country, and second of all, it's going to terribly hurt uh, what's left of the Russian economy. Yeah, I mean, he's given uh, a special so. deal on citizenship for people... <laughs> <laughs> for men that want to be willing to participate in the war. That's kind of interesting. And also, it seems to be a be a pretty prudent strategy on the part of the Ukrainians or whoever blew up this, this bridge. Uh, oh, and, absolutely. It's, it was, it's a clear strategic target Yeah. Uh, that it makes it very difficult for the Russians to supply their men. And again, it's like, it's the height of, how, you know, the, the word chutzpah to call what the Ukrainians do terror and what the Russians do, I don't know, Military targets. I mean, this time he actually admitted the fact they attacked the cities. Yeah, um, he, he's being pushed by his, by the right. Um, there's clearly, um, let's put it this way: the odds of something happening within Russia have certainly gone up in the last two weeks. Yeah, for sure, no question about it. On uh, top of which, of course, you know, since since you've been off to do the hurricane, we had Putin basically once again threatening to use nuclear weapons, and um, I think. Most of the world has concluded that there's no choice but to call his bluff, and hopefully it's a bluff, because um, to give in would mean that any anybody who has nuclear weapons can now get whatever they want, because all they have to do is threaten to use them. So the um, United States and European allies have certainly uh, continued their support of the Ukrainians. It's interesting, the support for the war in Europe, Europe that's going to have a very difficult winter, has been going up and not going down. Hmm. So the Europeans are more united than ever in trying to support Ukraine. And, of course, the United States continues to be, except some strange people on the far right and the far left. Um, yeah, so when, when Putin right. makes these comments about terrorism, I mean, who's his audience for those comments? It certainly can't be uh, the world population. It's got to be his citizens or people. It's his citizens, without doubt. I mean, he, look, he's trying to play a little bit in terms of 
in, you know, third world, India, China, etc. But one of the interesting things is two things have happened in the last couple of days. One is on his birthday, which was a couple of days ago. The Chinese did not wish him a happy birthday. And China's very big on symbolism. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not a small thing that they didn't do that. And then on top of which, he has sort of satellite states to, to, to Zhuzhman and uh, a bunch, you know, with Armenia. And I think it's I think Kazakhstan is considered one of them. But they were going to have a joint military exercise. And everybody else said they're not participating. Mm. So they backed out from, from that. And uh, the Europeans have now gotten involved in trying to work out the border issue between the Armenians and um, between between Armenia um, Armenian border and Georgia. Yeah. So uh, once again, that used to be Putin's job, but no one's no one's trusting him for anything at the moment. So what's going to come of this annexation of these th- three provinces in uh, Ukraine by by Russia? Well, look, he was using that as an excuse, I think, to say you know you're attacking Mother Russia when you move forward. Look, it's very hard. Even the even the Russian Russian radio publicly admits they don't know where the borders are because they're losing parts of it every day. Mm-hmm. So, look, again, uh, there's no guaranteeing what's going to happen, and the unusual can still happen, and he could still use nuclear weapons, and there are all sorts of possibilities. But in the direction this battle is going, the Ukrainians will ultimately uh, totally win the war. I mean, the, the Russians have a shortage of men. They don't have the equipment to to provide to the new new soldiers is that they're trying to draft. They're incapable of produ- It's a very interesting thing. They're trying to produce some of their older model uh, tanks and planes because the newer models are too dependent on Western integrated circuits, which they can't get. Mm-hmm. So, so how's- the sanctions are, are working in that way. But, you know, the, the Ukrainians are getting um, first-line equipment, at least in certain areas. America still seems to be a little bit afraid to give them F-16s and... There's a question of giving them modern tanks, uh, but maybe they don't need modern tanks because they're getting so many tanks from the Russians. Yeah. Uh, so. So uh, what? I mean, how's this all splashing on Russia? What's going on in Russia? Look, there's there's dissent clearly. There's you know there are people who are now questioning the war publicly, including on the media at this point. I mean, some of them are comp- complaining that they're not going far enough, calling for using nuclear weapons, but there's clear clear dissent at this point. Again, we, I come back to the same thing that we discuss. We do not know the, you know, how the power structure in Moscow is at the moment, and what would it take to, to remove Putin from power. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we just don't know. Um, so we'll have to see. Um, but listen, we can be very hope- hopeful. I mean, this is really um, a victory if it ends up being a sort of victory of good over evil. We also seeing that even. Even in Italy and Sweden, which now having a different government, um, who was thought to be a little less supportive of the EU and those sort of things, are 100% supportive of NATO and 100% supportive of, of Ukraine. Yeah. I think the so, uh, my, my personal opinion is I think it's a bridge too far to expect Putin to step down or to, to uh, change of uh, change of government. That uh, seems to me we should uh, seek peace first and let things play out. Seek peace with who? With who? who? Who are we speaking peace with? Uh, with Putin. How can you have peace with Putin? He doesn't. He's not willing to accept anything other than his annexation of the lands he conquered. Yeah, you so may that's be right. Gonna, that, that's a no-starter. That's that, that. That's Russian propaganda to seek peace. 
any I've seen some American commentators saying, now is the time for peace talks. No, now is not the time for peace talks. Now is the time to... Uh, close the deal, huh? <laughs> to, yeah, well, yes, close the deal, uh, destroy what's left of the Russian army slowly but surely. The Ukraine, look, you know, we have fought, in terms of the United States, a whole series of wars over the last generation, two generations, right? Starting in Korea, um, Vietnam, obviously, Iraq, uh, Kuwait, Afghanistan, where in all those cases, the big question is, why aren't the people fighting for themselves, right? Yeah. Why did we have to go fight? Why can't the Vietnamese defeat the North Vietnamese? Why, why can't the Afghan government defeat the Taliban? And we can, we can go through it, right? All, through, all throughout the last uh, 50 years of American history. Mm-hmm. Here we have a case where the people of Ukraine, and opinion polls are like 93%, are committed to fighting this war and fighting this war to victory. Hmm. Mark, I want to take a little break. Can you stick around? Absolutely. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, I'm going to visit with Jim McTagg. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. So uh, right now, I think it's fair to say that nuclear, uh, that uh, Putin has somewhat painted himself in a corner here, and it's him against the world and the globe. 
What about this, uh, the nuclear discussion of nuclear uh, attacks that's going on? Well, look, I mean, he certainly threatened to use them obliquely. There are two factors with that. Number one, uh, the American military concluded in the 1950s that tactical nuclear weapons might not be all of that effective. That's number one. Mm. Um, number two, uh, so what would he accomplish? Remember the fact that prevailing winds there in Europe and the whole world are basically from west to east. What's east of Ukraine? Russia. Yeah. So I mean, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna use tactical nukes on on uh, basically eastern Ukraine, close to your border, and then where's the, where's the fallout going to go? Hmm. So it's questionable whether he could use it. Second of all, the threat is much more potent than actually using it. Uh, but again, we can't rule anything out, obviously. And obviously the United States, I mean, I think Ned was made it clear that if he were to use a tactical nuclear weapon, we probably would not respond with nuclear weapons, but we would respond conventionally and destroy what's left of his army, which the United States and NATO could probably do in a matter of hours. Hmm, interesting. Because, so, I mean, be, let's be realistic here. If the Russians were not able to achieve air con air control against the Ukrainians, how do you think they stand up? And the Ukrainians have three generations behind the American and NATO uh, aircraft. How long would they stand up against the against NATO at this point? Right. So interesting. So, so you know, uh, one situation that fascinates me right now is what's going on in Iran. Uh, this has been right. so there is a really interesting situation where. We don't know, but for the first time ever in our discussions and going back a long time, I'm optimistic, let's put it that way, mm -hmm. um, by the fact that there really may be something going on there that may, may actually last and might bring down the regime. Uh, just this morning, it came out that the oil workers have gone on strike against the regime. Hmm. Uh, the oil is, of course, pumping oil is the only way that Iran makes any money. If they go on strike, that's another, another blow. Yeah, two days ago, uh, the, the Iranian president went to what he thought would be a peaceful university, an all-women's college, and he was chanted and had to leave because of all the uh, chanting against him. Uh, so it goes deep. It's based on the women more than anything else. The women of Iran, and this may be the first revolution in history uh, run by or caused by the women. Um, but I think we're maybe at a tipping point. It's hard to know for sure. Uh, can you imagine a world where, in the same couple of months, Russia loses to Ukraine and the Iranian regime falls? That would be something else. That would, uh, right. I think, certainly change the map and, uh, and the uh, whole balance of power around the globe. It would be unbelievable and very positive, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt. So let's just hope for the best. You know, we don't know, obviously. Iran particularly, it's up to the Iranian people. We've seen scenes now in the last couple of days <laughs> where the police have joined the demonstrators. Mm -hmm. And if wow. that happens, that starts becoming very problematic for the regime. Absolutely. So, so we have to hold our breath. We have to hope for the best. Whatever moral support we can give these people, because we can't really do much more than moral support at this point. Uh, but um, listen, I mean, it's more hopeful than it's been in a long time. It certainly is. Well, thank you for that commentary, Mark. Uh, you know, uh, North Korea has uh, been firing off its own ballistic missiles, uh, and that kind of coordinates somewhat with what's happening in Russia. What are your thoughts? Very, okay, first of all, what are, what are they trying to achieve? No one really quite knows, let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. He's a rather enigmatic leader, shall we say? Is that, an, that would sort of sum him up. Um, 
he's certainly gotten the attention of the Japanese and the, and the South Koreans. Um, there is no question that he's trying to develop, you know, a sort of immunity by by having a strong nuclear uh, nuclear capable uh, country that has nothing else there. I mean, we used to talk about Russia being a gas station with nuclear weapons. He doesn't even have a gas station. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's the reality. I do believe the United States has developed and should be putting more effort into um, a ballistic missile system that may have, defense system, excuse me, that may or may not be effective against the massive strike, God forbid, of a war with Russia, but would be effective against a few nukes uh, sent by by the North Koreans. Uh, we need a, an Israeli dome. <laughs> that... Right. Well, the Israeli system is, is, is three different uh, three different rocket systems, actually, that were developed. Um, and uh, the question, you know, the United States has bought, a couple, I think, one battery of iron domes, um, but it's a big thing to give in and buy, you know, a foreign m- missile defense system, even if the United States helped finance it. Yeah. Um, but it, but it should be done. I mean, it really should be done. The Germans, it, look like, it looks like, are buying the uh, the long-range missile defense system. You know, Israel has three layers. It has a long-range system that's designed against Iranian, um, basically, ICBMs, a medium-sized the system designed for for systems from Hezbollah, etc., and of course the final final system, which is against uh, short-range rockets, and then of course right now it's about a year from deploying a laser-based system. Huh. So, laser-based speed, unbelievable. So you know, and right now we we haven't touched on what's happening in Europe, but uh, that's in, in dire straits right now in terms of energy. And what what are your thoughts? Well, two things are happening. Number one, I mean, they are being successful. They've managed. As the winter is about to approach, to have almost 100% fill their reserves of gas, so they do. I mean, they don't have enough. They've got through the whole winter, but they have more than they've ever had before going into a winter. Huh. It's going to be a difficult winter in in Europe, but you know, there's no question that Putin, from a strategic standpoint, has destroyed himself. Because what is the what are the lessons the Europeans have learned? It took a long time. The United States tried. You know, both President Bush, Obama. Uh, Trump, and then, of course, Biden at the beginning, all tried to convince the, the Germans not to go with Nord Stream, Nord Stream 1, and then, of course, Nord Stream 2. Um, but they couldn't be convinced. But now, Europe realizes, without a shadow of a doubt, they are no longer going to be dependent on Russia, not for oil and not for gas. It'll take a whole another year until they develop enough alternative sources. I mean, there are other sources of gas. Uh, the problem is distribution. It's easy to move oil around the world. It's much more difficult to move gas. Uh, but facilities are being built as quickly as they can, these LNG terminals, to um, accept liquid natural, natural, liquid natural gas LNG. And they're being built in Europe as fast as they can be. Alternative pipelines are being laid. Um, so by next winter, Europe will not be dependent at all on Russia. How about nuclear so power? Be, well, okay, so nuclear power. Right now, the Germans are not closing their last two nuclear plants. Um, but no one's building new ones in the sense that, of course, remember, building a nuclear power plant uh, takes time, yeah. usually five to se- five to, to eight years in the best-case scenario. So oh. that would not be a short-term solution. Right. Um, those are medium- to long-term solutions, which uh, the United States is starting to, to, to build once again. And, of course, there's these new mini-nuclear plants that uh, a company that Bill Gates invested in um, that has now developed and I think are now the first one is in testing. That'll also be a, ma- a game changer. That'll be a nuclear plant that's big enough to operate. You know, it would have come down to Fort Myers and produced enough 
electricity just for the town. Huh. Um, wow, that so, would be so. In other words, it, it could incent, uh, be a substitute for the power grid. Uh, yes, or or at least it's a more it's a more distributed power grid. Yeah. So that's one of the things you you want a power grid because it's a, a power grid allows you to move electricity from you know from different areas based on on changing uh, requirements and different outputs. Right. But you want to have a distributed power grid where you have multiple sources. Right. And the close and that's really what you want to get to. So if you have a a power grid that has a lot of you know some really big big plants and hydroelectric obviously and some large nuclear plants, but if you have a lot of small nuclear plants spread around, it gives you a level of redundancy. And, of course, more power. Absolutely. Yeah. Mark Showman, again, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com, a, a multimedia website for it makes history fun for kids of all ages, including you and I. I hope you check it out, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, always appreciate, re really, your commentary on the show is just really terrific. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Have a great week, everybody. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, I'm going to visit with Larry Reed. Larry is the president of... Emeritus of the Foundation for uh, Economic Education. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Finish what you started with the Hodges University Wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the Wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now I'll play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, I'm going to visit with Jim McTagg. Right now we have with us Larry Reed, President Emeritus 
of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you, Bob. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Larry. Tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. We are an educational organization focused on inspiring and educating young people of high school and college age in ideas of individual liberty, free markets, uh, private property, small government, and personal character. And we do that through our uh, very robust website, which is feefee.org, and through in-person events, mostly in this country, but also occasionally overseas. Yeah, if you have somebody high school or college age in your life, do introduce them to fee.org, F-E-E.org. It is really a tremendously empowering and great organization. So, Larry, you wrote a piece on, it's not the first piece you've written about Calvin Coolidge. People think about him as Silent Cal, President of the United States. What number was he? I've forgotten. He was the 30th. The 30th President of the United States. But you, you call him Common Sense Cal. Maybe you can tell us about it. Okay. Well, I really like Calvin Coolidge, and next August of 2023, we'll celebrate the 100th anniversary of his coming to the presidency upon the death of uh, Warren Harding. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's important to remind Americans uh, what a great man we had in the White House just about 100 years ago. Uh, he's known widely as Silent Cal, but uh, that was a reflection of how he behaved in uh, social gatherings, not in terms of his uh, presidential news conferences. He actually holds the record to this day oh. for more uh, presidential news conferences than any other uh, American president. But you get him in a social setting like a dinner, and he was characteristically uh, quite quiet. Yes, and uh, he also, uh, you know, of course, presidents are responsible for signing bills, but sometimes uh, they don't sign bills to the betterment of the country. I mean, you have a good example of that. That's right. Uh, this is an example of uh, Coolidge's common sense shining through, and that's why I like to call him common sense, Cal, because uh, common sense basically governed uh, his thinking about so many things. Uh, uh, he vetoed on two occasions a bill that Congress put in front of him called the McNary-Hogan Act, and uh, it tried to address the fact that farmers were in bad shape in the 1920s. After all, they had uh, had some really good years when Europe was at war during World War I. But after that ended, uh, Europe's agriculture uh, came back online, and so we were still producing for a world that wanted all of our stuff. Yeah, uh, Prices fell, and uh, you know, so McNary-Hogan was proposed as a way to get government to buy up large quantities of farm products at uh, higher than market prices and then dump the stuff at a loss in overseas markets. And it also involved a new federal farm board and all kinds of price controls and mandates. And for common sense cow, this was absolutely ridiculous. So he vetoed it in February of 1927. And 15 months later, when Congress put it in front of him again, he vetoed it a second time. I mean, and he really meant it. I mean, he, he used very strong language in order to veto the bill. Oh, he sure did. Uh, he condemned it, uh, you know, all kinds of, uh, from all kinds of angles. He said, uh, for instance, that uh, though farmers certainly could use some help, 
the federal government wasn't the answer to it, that uh, all of this bill would do would be to stimulate even more surpluses, because by paying higher than market prices, it would prompt farmers to uh, expand acreage, not to reduce it. And that, moreover, uh, dumping uh, farm products abroad at below market prices would only anger uh, European competitors and allies. Uh, he just thought the government had no business uh, being this deeply involved in, in any industry. You know, and it's such a timely message. And right, what are we considering right now? Price controls and, uh, uh, again, federal government manipulating the market in order to uh, uh, cronyism, the things that are going on, very applicable to today. Yeah, it sure is. In fact, there's a, a book that came out in the late 1970s that uh, all of us ought to dust off and reread <laughs> called 40 Centuries of Price Controls. And it's a history of how price controls in one corner of the world after another have uh, never solved a problem. All they do is make it worse. They produce black markets. They um, uh, stimulate uh, more production of the very thing that uh, uh, has caused the low prices to begin with, if they're accompanied by subsidies. And uh, uh, you know, they just they just don't work. The whole idea is that prices can be sort of uh, magically manipulated by government with little, if any, uh, consequences. But prices are what they are in free markets for good reason, because they reflect supply and demand. You disrupt that, you will have negative consequences. Yeah, and I don't think uh, Calvin Coolidge was uh, schooled in economics, but uh, to, back to uh, coming full circle on your point, he just demonstrated a lot of common sense. That's right. And, and also on this issue, experience. I mean, he was from a farm family. Yeah. You might think on the surface that, well, a president uh, from a farm family would want to help farmers with all sorts of federal intervention. But he knew firsthand that federal intervention was no answer, that farmers would have to solve the problem on their own, that there might be some pain to it, but that introducing things like uh, massive subsidies and price controls would in the long run be more painful than anything the farmers could do to adjust to the situation on their own. You know, uh, he f completed the uh, term for uh, Warren G. Harding as uh, president, and of course uh, ran again and won, I think pretty much by a landslide, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. And uh, But he did decide not to run for a second term. That's right. He was eligible. He could have run uh, in 1928, but decided not to. And a lot of reasons for that. First of all, this was not a man who lusted for political office. He had held many in his life, but it wasn't like, uh, it didn't mean everything to him. But uh, perhaps most importantly, he lost one of his two sons oh. uh, to an accident uh, while he was president. And he later said that that just took the, the life out of him and uh, didn't have the, uh, the oomph to uh, mount yet another campaign for president in 1928. From uh, Vermont, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, right. you know, was he, he took the oath of office after uh, Warren G. Harding died, I think by a kerosene lamp and a, and, and a Bible, his, his dad administered the oath. If I'm not mistaken, he was a justice of the peace? That's right. That's what his father was. And when word came that Harding had suddenly and unexpectedly died, they had to find somebody who had some uh, authority over the matter. And so uh, they used his father, who was a justice of the peace. And by the way, you can still visit the Coolidge Homestead in Plymouth, Vermont. It's uh, as it was when Calvin took the oath of office at 1 a.m. 
and uh, even the very Bible that he swore the oath on uh, is right there in the living room. That's a wonderful story. And again, a great president. Certainly his motivation was to support and uh, lead the American people. It wasn't uh, lust for power and control. Uh, Calvin Coolidge, common sense, Calvin Coolidge. Uh, Larry, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of many books. His latest, No Problem, That and More, right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I just heard Blue Provence commercial. I want to remind you that uh, they had a lot of damage during the hurricane. So I'm sure Jacques and his family will be freshening up the restaurant and make it just as beautiful as other uh, as ever, but uh, currently not open. I, I don't know yet if the wine store is open. i got to check on that. But Blue Provence, terrific uh, location. Uh, we have with us Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He retired, and now he's writing some tremendous murder mysteries. The first was uh, uh, Follow the Leader. The second is uh, Shake the Money Tree. And his third, his last book, uh, No Problem. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Oh, thank you, Bob. Let me add that all my villains are uh, members of Congress. <laughs> yeah. uh, that might be hard for people to uh, uh, com- comprehend. Uh, no. But the... Uh, I'm sitting here, uh, you know, I'm up north, and I, I feel badly for the people in Florida. Uh, but as, as widespread as the destruction was in Florida in terms of 
economic impact. It'll only be a temporary blip. And uh, I'm in the camp that thinks that the Fed is tightening too aggressively, uh-huh. that they have to slow down. Uh, I say, you know, when's the last time you saw a picture of a Federal Reserve president uh, with a shopping cart, you know, you know, going through the uh, aisles of a supermarket? Never. Yeah. Uh, these guys, these economists sit in their offices waiting for data to come in from the field and they're always behind the curve because we consumers know what's happening out there. Um, you know, we have we have the gas pump staring at us every day. So um, I'm urging people. You know, I have a following the, the the conventional statistical wisdom that in a midterm election the market does very well between October and at least May. I think it's a good time to start picking up some stocks here. Um, the market, this is a proverb, the market climbs a wall of worry. We've got countless bricks in this wall of worry. So, mm-hmm. so uh, you know, it, it's, it seems like a frightening time, and that's generally, uh, generally, if you're a contrarian, the frightening time is the best time to start uh, nibbling. Yeah, that's such uh, a great point, uh, Jim. I mean, uh, one of the concerns I have is, of course, we have inflation, and what's what the Fed is trying to trying to fight with uh, raising the interest rates, the Fed rate. On the other hand, we've also got uh, not only inflation but a recession. I mean, to me, the economy is slowing down, so rising prices and a cooling economy—that's bad news. That's a bad combo. Yeah. I think the Fed will have to let up on the gas. I mean, the expectation is that they'll tighten again in November by three quarters of a point. I have a feeling that it'll be half a point, which will will boost the market. Hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm keeping an eye on retail sales. Uh, you know, everybody this week will be looking at the um, uh, CPI, the, the inflation measure, which comes out, I think, on Thursday. On Friday, their retail sales numbers are uh, coming out. Uh, the consumer drives the economy. I mean, we've had we had 6.5 trillion in retail sales in 2021, and the retail industry is claiming, I think, too optimistically that we could approach seven trillion this year. Mm. So, um, I, I just think uh, you know I'm hearing from my sources in the department store industry that they're actually bracing. Uh, sales were up 7% for the first six months. They're bracing for uh, sales to decrease by 3 to 4% in, in, in for the rest of the year. So Halloween is coming up. Halloween is one of the great discretionary spending episodes in the economy every year. And um, uh, last year, I mean, spending for Halloween jumped from 8.1 billion in uh, 2020 to 10.1 billion a 2 billion dollar jump wow phenomenal and you know that was after we were lift we got used to covid and the masks were coming off uh this year retailers think 10.6 billion which is a, a another big increase i'm not so sure i think i think it's overly optimistic yeah uh Where's the money coming from, Jim? I mean, uh, with, with inflation, people are trying to take care of their basic needs, pay for energy and so forth. Uh, where are they going to get this discretionary money to spend on Halloween? I, I, 
And it, well, you know, I wonder that, and then I, I go out and see people that you think couldn't are having trouble uh, paying for gasoline and groceries that they have tattoos all over their arms. So there's, you know, who, who can explain the spending? Uh, but to that point, gas pump prices are coming up suddenly now. Yeah. Um, uh, in, in my community, which is a, a very wealthy community, uh, and I'm new to it, I, 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 I was at a, uh, my wife's uh, high school reunion, and I asked people, where are the good restaurants in the county? And uh, the people at the table rattled off a bunch of names, but they, they all added. And these are not poor people. Uh, we don't go out and eat as much anymore. Right. <laughs> so that, you know, to me, uh, uh, it's only an anecdote. It's it's a one community, but it tells me uh, people are are becoming very cost conscious, and, and we're going to see. I think we're going to see shrinkage in, in retail. Maybe not this time around, but but that's why I'm I'm, I'm fixated on Halloween. That's going yeah, to be no. my canary in the coal mine. Now, having having said that, when the Fed, if the Fed takes its foot off the accelerator, the stock market's uh, going to shoot up. You know, Jim, I, I'll add to that. I think people are certainly they have less discretionary income, but and uh, going to restaurants, though, I would suggest maybe that was partly uh, inspired or at least a habit that we developed during COVID. People just didn't go out much and perhaps haven't increased the level of uh, socializing outside of the home uh, since COVID. Well, well, the other thing, I don't know, in my case, I'm a pretty good cook and I like to cook. Uh-huh. So when I go to a restaurant, I expect something exceptional something better than I can make. Uh-huh. And if you go to a restaurant and you pay f- through the nose for something that isn't exceptional, uh, you're not, you're unlikely to go out again. So, um, so that can be a problem. Well, uh, even if, even is, if it is exceptional, my goodness, the, the prices are up 10, 15, 20% uh, since, uh, since inflation, since the Biden administration started. Right. And, and owners, I feel, you know, I, I have friends who are restaurant owners and it's the toughest business in the world and they have problems holding on to employees. So, so as a consumer, when you go to a restaurant, you no longer, at least I don't expect, uh, you know, five-star service. Uh, if I get three-star service, I'm, I'm pleased. <laughs> so, so that's, you know, that's a headwind for the industry as well. So, well, and how about this unemployment rate of 3.5%? All right. How did people all of a sudden get the money to just retire or stop working? That to me makes no sense. Yeah. Well, actually, when I don't know, I think um, there's a lot of age discrimination in the economy. So I think people are are being forced to retire from, say, age 55 to 65. And uh, it's it's very hard for them to get rehired, except that uh, you know some menial job. So I think that's partially behind the uh, employment figures. And 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 then of course there's the big wave of retiring baby boomers. So for example, uh, real estate prices are softening across the country. Yeah. You, you can see an increase in communities that that are cutting uh, prices for 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 home sales. Uh, Bloomberg has a figure on this today. Uh, in my community, which is 55 and older, it's 80% sold out and they're still selling, and 40% of the sales are all cash. So, so you have also have retiring boomers who have 
saved throughout their career. They have a pretty nice nest egg. So that's also sucking people out of the job market. So interesting. Jim McTake, again, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Always appreciate your commentary here in the, on the show, Jim. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. My pleasure, indeed. And again, latest book, No Problem. That's a wrap on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. Uh, tomorrow we're going to visit with Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. Uh, Seton Motley will be joining us, and we'll have other guests as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. Please do, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. That's how we build our audience. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.